Good evening and welcome to Resistance TV. It's Wednesday, it's seven o'clock and it's the 18th of October. Um, Chris isn't here again this week. He's down in Bristol, I believe, with uh, David Miller. Uh, David, if you do watch this, we're sending you all our love and our thoughts are with you uh, during your court case this week. And uh, we hope everything goes accordingly. Um, another announcement I have to make is we thought Miko Pellet was coming on with us this evening. Unfortunately, Miko has had to back out at the last minute. Something's come up. Uh, we do understand he has family still in Israel. Um, so we have to be aware of a fluid, uh, fluid situation over there. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to hook up with Miko sometime during the week and do a pre-recording so we can put that out at uh, another date. But I am very pleased to announce that we have Peter Ford with us this evening. His Excellency is a former ambassador to, the, to Syria and Bahrain uh, for the UK government. And uh, he's, uh, he's with us this evening to talk to us about the ongoing situation in the Palestinian siege. Situations have been moving extremely fast this week. I've hardly had any sleep again. I've been watching the news constantly. And then last evening was so horrific. We saw horrific scenes coming out of Gaza where the hospital, the Baptist hospital called Al-Hali was bombed and it killed around, I think the, the estimate is around 900 people, mostly of whom were children and women who were seeking refuge there or were already patients at the hospital. There's been a lot of conflict and propaganda coming out today. Um, and it's almost become like a propaganda war uh, with people trying to get the stories out of what's happened in Gaza. Then you have the mainstream media who are telling us another story and the government's telling us another story. They're, they're backtracking on what they said last night and this morning. Um, and it's, it's a whole mess. Um, it's like a fog of information. And, and I think this is part of what we have to think about when we are when we are studying what's happening during wartime situations. Um, so thanks for joining us, Peter. Um, as I had said, I, you know, I'm, I'm very I am very somber today. Um, it was a horrific attack last night, um, killing, you know, nearly a thousand people in one go. Um, immediate reports were saying that it was a an Israeli warplane that had bombed. And then uh, later, uh, and also we've had statements from doctors at the hospital coming out saying the same thing. And then we've had mainstream media and the Western governments all falling into place saying it was, it, it wasn't the Israelis, it was um, the jihad uh, group that did this. Can I ask your initial thoughts on uh, the situation in Gaza this week, what happened last night and, um, you know, all this business about what happened, uh, who bombed it, who didn't bomb it. But in the meantime, we've got civilians down there who are dead, horrifically injured, uh, with no electricity, no food, no water um, and, you know, hardly any medical supplies. Um, well, to deal with the horrific attack on the hospital, I spent uh, most of today sifting through the evidence 
and it points in only one direction to the guilt of Israel. They've come forward uh, with a semi-plausible cover story uh, that it was uh, Islamic Jihad and uh, failed um, missile uh, attack from I Islamic Jihad. But the story doesn't hold uh, water if you look at some relevant facts. Um, Islamic Jihad have been lobbing these homemade uh, rockets over into Israel for several years. And they never uh, cause more than one or two fatalities at most. And in fact, most of them, 90% of them, land harmlessly. It would be the most amazing, amazing coincidence that on the one occasion when Islamic Jihad missile misfires, that it lands in the place where it could do the most conceivable damage to Palestinian refugees. You know, if you believe that, then you also believe in, in fairies and Santa Claus. It's the laws of probability in, in the first place. Secondly, Israel was advertising days in advance that they didn't care in the least for patients in, in a hospital. They wanted patients to be evacuated at peril of their lives. Uh, the Israelis were utterly, utterly indifferent to the suffering uh, of, of hospital patients. They, they, they made no bones about that. Thirdly, just hours before the attack on the hospital, there was an attack on uh, a UN school. Uh, this passed almost unnoticed, but people were killed and injured in a UN School. Now, and the Israelis didn't even attempt to claim that it wasn't them. Now, if they can bomb a school, they can also bomb a hospital. So these three factors, as well as the pattern of Israeli behavior in the past, and their well-known um, propaganda machine, which uh, always has a cover story uh, ready, as it did with the uh, assassination by an Israeli sniper of uh, an Al Jazeera Palestinian-American journalist. At first they said it, it, it was the Palestinians who shot her, but then months later it became clear it was the Israelis. And so it will prove this time, in the fullness of time, if ever there is any justice in this world, it will be demonstrated beyond any possible doubt that it was the Israelis this time. To all intents and purposes, we can assume that it was Israel which bears the guilt. Now, in the great scheme of things, sorry, go on, yeah. Peter. Go um, on. In, in the great in the great scheme of things, um, I don't want to obviously belittle what's happened, but it, it doesn't change the the basic um, strategic position. Um, it makes Israel uh, look uh, worse in the eyes of most of the world, but the opinion of most of the world doesn't make much difference, I'm sorry to say, in what's going on in Gaza. The Israelis are playing for an audience of one, and that audience of one is their guest right now, or was earlier today, Joe Biden. As long as America... Uh, uh, has the back of Israel, as they like to call it, has the back 
of, of Israel, uh, then Israel can escape with impunity. Uh, a friend of mine once said that even if the Israelis were feeding Palestinian babies feet first into a meat grinder, Uncle Sam would still say it was an act of self-defense. Well, they've come very close to proving my friend right. Uh, so the, the Americans obviously will continue to back Israel. And as we've seen at the United Nations, will veto any resolution which condemns Israel or which doesn't further Israeli interest. Yeah, well, we'll come back to the UN in a second, Peter. Um, I just want to read a statement from a, a British Palestinian doctor who, who was at the Al-Hali hospital last night. He'd been working at the Al-Shifa hospital and he'd been asked to go down to Al-Hali to help. Um, he's a, a fabulous uh, surgeon uh, who uh, deals with burns and uh, plastics and things like that. So he was at Al-Hali when this happened. Um, I don't want to be sharing any of the horrific images uh, and videos that probably most people have already seen going around on social media. I'm not going to be sharing them here, but I did want to share his statement about what happened at the time. So this is uh, Ghassan Abu Site, and he said, um, I still have difficulty communicating since I lost my phone in the massacre. We now know that the number of killed exceeds 500. This number will increase as I saw many dismembered bodies and body parts as I carried the last patient into the ambulance past the courtyard. This was the most advertised crime in history. It was a massacre by appointment. The Israeli world, sorry, the Israeli government has been open uh, about it, saying it was going to target hospitals for the last week and the world just stood by and did nothing. The number of children who were killed exceeds 50%. I saw a body of a toddler. I'm not going to say that next bit. You can you can read it for yourself. The remaining patients who were at Ahli Baptist Hospital were moved to uh, Shifa Hospital. Shifa has now run out of external fixators needed to stabilise fractures. This morning, the bombing continued. Another one of my colleagues at the Burns unit found out that his father was one of those seeking refuge at Ahli Hospital and was murdered. I am sorry for all the worry and anxiety I caused for my family and my loved ones. Um, his family is, is still here in Britain, so obviously very worried about him. Um, you know, why why would a surgeon, a doctor of his calibre, have any reason to lie, have any reason to say that this was Israel who had bombed the hospital? Uh, yes, the, the people uh, on, on the spot are the best place to assign uh, uh, responsibility. And I believe uh, there are many testimonies to the, the impact which took place, which was more, much more like the impact of a supersonic missile, an, an Israeli bomb being rained down, much more than the impact from a, a low-flying, homemade, souped-up firework, which is all that is Islamic Jihad possessed. So the, the doctors testimony fits with that picture. 
Um, and and then to, shortly after, not not more than a couple of hours after they bombed the hospital, they then bombed a bakery uh, that wasn't wasn't far away. And uh, I'm just going to uh, share this with you. Just bear with me a second. Um, so this was the this was the bakery in uh, in a place called uh, Nusray. Um, so they 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 um, they bombed that, and I was having a look at uh, some further information on this, and it's actually um, um, a charity organisation called the WFP, who runs a lot of the bakeries over in Gaza to help feed the displaced fam families who are in shelters, and the WFP chief tweeted out last night that another contracted bakery was hit overnight in Gaza as bread was distributed by WFP staff to displaced families in shelters. Of the 23 bakeries we work with, only four are operational today as most have run out of fuel. People need safe access to food. Um, so that was the, the, um, the bakery. And then they also bombed the Um, sorry for, for our audience. I've got so much to share with you tonight and uh, I'm trying to get things in the right order for you. So just bear with me. So this was the bakery. Uh, sorry, that was the bakery. I've showed you that already. Let me just stop that. There was also a mosque in the same area that was uh, that was bombed. I uh, don't have any pictures of that one, unfortunately. Um, so there was the there was the bakery, then there was the mosque, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but I believe that it's against international law to um, to bomb places that are either hospitals, shelters, places of worship, food storage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, like you said, the uh, the school was also bombed today. Um, and there was a statement from the UN Nations Relief and Workers Agency that said at least six people were killed this afternoon when an UNRWA school was hit at Al-Makazi refugee camp in Gaza's middle area. Dozens were injured, including UNRWA staff, and severe structural damage was caused to the school. The numbers are likely to be higher. This is outrageous, and it again shows a flagrant disregard for the lives of civilians. Places safe in Gaza anymore, not even for UNRWA facilities. The school was hit during Israeli forces airstrikes and bombardment on the Gaza Strip. At least 4,000 people have taken refuge in this UNRWA school turned shelter. They had and still have nowhere else to go since the war began on the 7th of October. UNRWA provides the coordinates of its facilities to relevant parties on a daily basis. Now, I've also heard the same. Um, that the uh, the hospital had shared its coordinates as well to say that it was a hospital and uh, they weren't to go and bomb in that area. So again, so that's another source. That's the UN relief agency who are also saying that it was the Israelis that bombed. Uh, yes, the, the the UN has been in recent days fairly clear that the Israelis are in breach of international law. 
uh, you don't get a pass to break uh, in international law just because you're angry. Um, the, the, the WFP that you mentioned just now in the context of the bakery, that's one of the UN agencies, the World Food Program. I, I know them well from the many times that I visited uh, UNRWA, when I, sorry, when I visited the UNRWA installations in Gaza when I was myself working for UNRWA, which of course is the UN agency for relief and works for Palestine refugees. They educate half of Gaza's children and they provide medical care for another half. Uh, so the, the UN is in no doubt that the Israelis are, are, are in breach of international law. But meanwhile, our own politicians refuse to acknowledge this obvious truth certified by the United Nations. It's unbelievable. I think this is the first time in history that senior British politicians have refused to acknowledge a breach of international law certified by the United Nations. That, that someone like Starmer, although we, should, we could have expected it, I suppose, but that doesn't make it less outrageous that he should refuse to condemn these breaches, refuse to acknowledge that they are breaches of international law, and the most he can do is now belatedly, very belatedly, uh, ask the Israelis politely to be a bit more careful. It's no wonder that uh, councillors, uh, Labour councillors, especially of Asian descent, are leaving Labour in, in droves, and they're very welcome to join us here in No to NATO and in the Workers' Party of Britain. We would welcome them, and we will, I hope, welcome them with open arms. Absolutely. Um, now, I just wanted to show a clip to our audience of the response from the Arab Council in the UN. Um, you know, they wonder, no doubt, last night, and um, they sent about the, the UN ambassador to uh for, for Palestine gave a a very very strong um statement last night so I think people really do need to see that so I'm going to share that with with you um okay The Israeli Prime Minister today said, and I quote, the intelligence from multiple sources said that it's the Islamic Jihad is responsible for the failed rocket launch. Your, your response? He is a liar. His uh, spokesperson and digital spokesperson tweeted that Israel did the hit, thinking that there is around this hospital a base for Hamas, and then he deleted that tweet. We have a copy of that tweet, and Talal can share with you that tweet. Now they change the story to try to blame the Palestinians. It is a lie, and they, the Israeli spokesperson of the army, about a week ago made a statement in which he said, 
evacuate the hospitals. The hospitals are target, and in fact, they hit one hospital a week ago. So they, their intentions is evacuate, or hospitals will be hit, and they are responsible for that crime, and they cannot fabricate stories to deal with it. Yeah. Um... And that tweet that was sent out by the digital spokesperson said uh, he's a guy called Hananya Naftali. And he tweeted out, breaking, Israeli Air Force struck a Hamas terrorist base inside a hospital in Gaza. A number of terrorists are dead. That is what he tweeted out straight after. And then he deleted it. And then they blamed it on Hamas. And then that tweet disappeared, and then they blamed it on uh, Islamist Jihad. How disgusting. I, I just can't get over it. Um, I don't know what our audience is thinking when they, they're seeing all these receipts that we're bringing tonight. Um, it's, it's absolutely appalling. Um, Peter, can I get your response on on what the UN, UN ambassador for Palestine said. Um, it, I mean, it, it did actually go on uh, a little bit longer, um, the original one that I saw. And the UN ambassador for Egypt and the UN ambassador for Jordan also spoke in very, very strong terms about there needing to be a ceasefire. Um, and uh, they also called for, at that point, uh, the King of Jordan to cease his talks that he was supposed to be having with Netanyahu and uh, Biden today, which they did. Uh, they did go ahead and cancel those talks. So just going off your sort of ex your experience, Peter, as, as an ambassador uh, in to Arab countries, what, what, is, what do you think is going on here in the background? Um, well, I'm, I'm sorry to say um, that it's mostly theater. For many years, the Palestine Authority, represented by the Palestine ambassador that we saw, has acted as Israel's tool in keeping the West Bank uh, quiet, in not allowing elections to be held because they would probably result in a Hamas victory. They've not allowed elections to be held on the West Bank well, and, and Gaza since 2006 because they might give the wrong result. So it's a little bit late for people like this to be coming forward with condemnation of Israel. Jordan, Jordan is, is well, I, I hesitate to use insulting words, but they have worked closely with Israel to keep the Palestinians under control. Uh, and it's hypocritical for them now to be posing as some kind of champion of the Palestinians. Uh, the very least that they could do was what they've done today, which is simply to refuse to meet Biden, although I'm sure they have had private, uh, discreet conversations. Mm -hmm. And the same with the Egyptians and most of the uh, Arabs. We're seeing classic examples of Arab hypocrisy. The only people who come out of this with honor 
are the people that we, Britain, vilify, uh, the Iranians and their friends around the region. Um, the, 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 the foreign policy emphasis of Britain and America and the West generally is to, as they put it, to stop the spread of the conflict. Now, now this seems uh, reasonable on the face of it, but translated, it means what they want is to hold the ring, not let outsiders butt in, like Iran or Hezbollah, uh, so that Israel has a free run in the shooting range of Gaza. That's what they mean when they say stop the conflict spreading. They mean stop others applying the brakes. But they've in not fact, been able to do that, have they? Sorry, go on, Peter. No, in fact, in, in, in fact um, Iran, by threatening to move, and Hezbollah by not just threatening, but actually initiating hostilities, have shown intent to intervene if the Israelis cross a red line. Now, nobody knows exactly uh, what the red line is. That's the beauty of it. It puts a doubt into the mind of the Israelis. Now, the Israelis are adapting their plans day by day. Uh, it appeared, you will recall, that just a few days ago, the Israelis were um, trumpeting that they were about to launch a full-scale land, sea, air onslaught on on Gaza and all the Western experts were saying it's inevitable. Well, I, I, I don't want to be too uh, modest about this and so I will recall that I said days ago it's not going to happen that way. It's not going to happen that way and now they're changing their tune. They're talking about a more limited incursion. They're talking about incrementally destroying uh, Hamas, about taking over control of, of Gaza block by block. And now the Western experts, who only yesterday were saying that Israel would just wade into uh, Gaza and in no time wipe the floor with Hamas, they're now changing their tune and cautioning that oh, Israel uh, must be ready for a long drawn out battle and it will be like Mosul, it will take months, and maybe they're going into a trap. Well, indeed, maybe they will be going into a trap. I do not rule out that this is, or has been, exactly Hamas's calculation. They, they, Hamas will have known, before they launched their attacks on 7 October, what the Israeli response would be. And they may have calculated that they have the military wherewithal, not just to defeat the Israelis, but to push them back out and over the Israeli border, especially if Israeli troops are being tied up in the north and on the Syrian border, and, and when the West Bank erupts at the same time. So the question becomes, how wise would it be for the Israelis to unleash war on four fronts? Israel has never in its history had to do this. 
it will be uh, un unprecedented, and I, I don't think they will. And I think the Americans know this. And behind the scenes, the Americans will have, will have been educating the Israelis on the realities. It, it's not two American warships in the Mediterranean that are going to deter Iran. Iran has a track record of, of not bluffing Hezbollah likewise. This is very important if you're a military actor, never to bluff, to carry out your threats. And both have, have been saying very clearly that cross our red lines by wading into Gaza and we will act in, 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 in northern uh, Israel. Um, I think Netanyahu is looking for a way out, a way to climb down. And the job of the Americans is to help him to negotiate a, a humiliating stand down. Very difficult, <laughs> maybe quite long drawn out. But every day that passes makes it less likely that the Israelis will mount a full scale ground invasion of Gaza. Mm. Um, yeah, people have been saying, I've heard other political analysts um, saying that if they did go in uh, with boots on the ground into Gaza, they wouldn't know what hit them um, with Hamas. Um, but there's there's other, um, they've also been taking on Lebanon, haven't they? There's been incursions on the Lebanon border and they've also bombed Aleppo and Damascus airports in Syria as well. Um, how do you think that will go down with uh, with Assad in Syria? The Israelis have been bombing Syria on, on a monthly, if not weekly basis for at least three years. <laughs> it, it, it no longer shocks that Israel is allowed to get away with bombing a, a country which has never lifted a finger in more than half a century against Israel, uh, which in fact has kept its border with uh, Israel on the Golan completely quiet for decades, uh, and yet Israel gets the right to bomb them, beat up on Syria any time they like and in any way they care to do. Um, but Syria does have the capacity, a kind of nuisance factor capacity if, if, if all hell breaks loose, then you can be sure that the Golan will be one of the fronts and it will, dive, it will cause the Israelis to have to divert some of their best troops. They don't have many best troops, the Israelis. They probably only have 20 or 30,000 real soldiers. Uh, reservists are not in the same category. They may have 300,000 clerks and bankers and bakers uh, who will run away as, as, as the Israeli soldiers did on 7 October uh, at the sound of gunfire and, and in fact uh, shoot many of their own side. Um, so um, I think uh, the Israelis will think long and hard if they're wise before uh, unleashing war on, on four fronts. 
I would be worried if I was an American sailor. Huh. Why? Because Iran might attack? No, because Israel might attack. Israel, in fact, has a track record. They, they sank the USS Liberty back in the 1950s. Um, this is not contested. I'm not saying anything controversial here. The Israelis sank a US warship. And they would be quite capable of doing something similar if they could draw America into their side with boots on the ground, the US Air Force, all the rest, if that was the way they thought they could save their skins. Yeah, I, I would encourage people to look up the USS Liberty. Um, there was a an American independent news, a Christian news channel, actually. They're called uh, True News. And they made a, a documentary about the USS Liberty and interviewed a lot of the, the crew that were on board that day when they were attacked by Israel and also how they were threatened to keep their mouth shut um, in no uncertain terms. It's a really harrowing story, actually, um, and I would encourage anybody to to go and look that up. Um, after the incursion, after I can't say incursion. Let's get let's get the let's use the right terminology. After the massacre um, at the hospital last night, there was thousands of people across the Arab nations who went out onto the streets. Lebanon was flooded with people, with cars streaming down to the Israeli embassy. Uh, it was the same scenes in Tehran. It was the same scenes in um, uh, in Ramallah, uh, in the West Bank. Um, there was uh, it, there were scenes all over the place. I think in Tehran, uh, all over the Arab nations. Um, there were scenes of uh, embassies on fire. Uh, do you think that this will make the Arab nations step up into gear because their people are, you know, raising up against them because of this issue? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say I don't think it will make much difference, except possibly on, on the West Bank. Um, but there have been uh, violent demonstrations against this entrenched regime of the Palestine Authority, which, as I mentioned earlier, has been there for since 2006 without elections. Um, and they've suppressed uh, uh, protests and, and, and dissent. And they look like, like they will do the same again uh, with the West um, fully in approval. Um, but there is an outside chance that this episode will so discredit Mahmoud uh, Abbas that when the dust settles, he will step aside. Um, but there will still be an immense problem that the Palestinians are not properly represented. They're not mm. democratically uh, represented. Uh, any long-term settlement is going to have to involve fresh, fair Palestinian elections with all the risk or opportunity that they might decide to vote in Hamas. Uh, it's very hard to see the West acknowledging that. The, the West, after all, uh, prevented Hamas from taking power the last time 
they won a Palestinian election. Uh, Wasn't it created by Israel, though, Hamas? Didn't they no, create Hamas to, to get rid nonsense. of the PLO? All right. It, it, this is nonsense. Um, Israel was happy to see the Palestinians becoming divided. Uh, they may have turned a blind eye to some of the activities of, of Hamas, um, but to say that Israel created Hamas is, is simply factually incorrect and, and does no service to the Palestinian uh, people uh, or to the Thank resistance. Thank you for putting us straight on that. Uh, that's what some people have been saying. Uh, I know there's a, a video of Rand Paul going around. He stood in the white in the Senate and and gave that speech about Israel creating uh, Hamas to it, get it, rid of the PLO. Some of this, some of this is put about by the Israelis themselves to sow confusion and to undermine uh, Arab support and Palestinian support for Hamas. Let us not be taken in. Mm. Um, but I think we have to be clear with people that the last the last elections were back in 2006, weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the Hamas have not allowed any other elections no. since then. So uh, the majority yeah. of the people who live in Gaza have never been able to vote for these people. They've never been allowed a vote. N uh, not since 2006, uh, no. Uh, but there's little doubt, and, and indeed this was being acknowledged by a channel for... Um, journalists uh, earlier today that if elections were held, it's quite likely that Hamas would, uh, would win. Uh, but it's more interesting on the Israeli side. There, I think we can look forward to big change. I think Netanyahu is dead man walking. The minute this crisis dies down, he's toast, which is why he wants it to go on and on and on. This is why the Israelis are talking about a long, drawn-out piecemeal operation. They're now beginning to say, oh, this could take several months, if not years, and we'll, we'll, we'll gobble up, or well, they don't say gobble up, but uh, we will uh, incrementally uh, destroy uh, Hamas uh, uh, kilometer by kilometer. This plays to Netanyahu's desire um, to string out the, the crisis and this puts off uh, the day of, of reckoning for himself. Now, he may succeed in, in that. Um, you can keep a crisis uh, going. If, if, you, if you make the weather, it's Israel that makes the weather here. Everybody responds to what Israel is doing. But uh, it's perhaps more likely that uh, this crisis will be over sooner rather than later. And at that point, the Israeli society is likely to, the, the fractures which are already deep, Israel is coming apart at the seams because many Israelis are very angry with Netanyahu for having gotten into bed with the, the racists of, of his mm. present government coalition, uh, provoked the Palestinians, and uh, not just uh, uh, angry. Uh, uh, but but also frustrated, they haven't had a chance to vent their anger. The moment they get a chance, Netanyahu will be out, and conceivably we could see the emergence of a more sensible, more humane Israeli government, which is purely in, to preserve its 
Israel's safety and continued existence will make concessions and be, be ready to treat the Palestinians like human beings. It's an outside mm. chance, but the chance... But if they, if, they don't, if they don't let humanitarian aid in quickly, there's going to be nobody left in Gaza because they have no food or water and no medical supplies. And, and they've already been without water for about four or five days now. Surely yes. they can't yeah. last much longer. Well, in, indeed, if, if literally they starve uh, Gazans to death, um, but that's something I think e even the, the Israelis are not going to be able to manage um, because that, there will come a point at which even the American um, stomachs will, will turn. Um, and besides, it, it, that, that is not going to be necessary for this strategy of stringing things out. And so today we see that the Israelis are relaxing the siege. Now they are graciously allowing some help to go in uh, through Rafa on the Egyptian uh, border. Uh, it, it, it's no longer, I think, in the Israeli interest for these harrowing images to be coming out of, of, of Gaza. Uh, we're moving now in, into a, an, a new phase. We're also moving out of my uh, battery. I'm afraid I'm, my phone is going to conk out any moment. Oh, right. Okay, okay. Well, Peter, we'll wrap it up there for now um, to save your battery. And um, I'm sorry we didn't get time to uh, go to anybody's questions. Um, but I will make a note of them. And uh, like I say, if I can get hold of Miko Pellet to do a, a pre-recording, I will ask it. I promise to the audience, I will ask him some of those questions. Um, so I'll try and just take a um a screen grab of those uh before we we close down uh the stream peter thank you so much for stepping up at the last minute um you're amazing and uh, we think the world of you and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon and you're down in london for the uh the big demonstration well, in london, on, uh, london, on saturday as long as the the rain isn't too bad um i expect to see an even bigger crowd than the more than 100,000 who were there last Saturday. And um, where is it going from and what time? Um, from uh, at noon from um, Hyde Park Corner. I think it will Brilliant. march down Oxford Street and, and back down to uh, Downing Street. Well, um, if anybody of anyone can make it, there, there are demonstrations going on all over the country again. I know there's one in Manchester outside the BBC at Salford Quays at one o'clock uh, if you're in Manchester. But just have, have a look on your Facebooks. Um, there, there's loads of demonstrations going on uh, again over the weekend. So please do try and attend. It's one of the things that you can do. Keep a voice for Gaza. Um, we are their voice and we, we have to keep them in our hearts, in our prayers, and um, we have to keep um, shouting for, for what they need. We need to keep shouting for the humanitarian aid to get to them and for a ceasefire uh, immediately. 
Um, thank you all for joining us. Um, Peter, I'm going to say goodnight to you now. Um, hopefully, Chris will be back with us again next week. I've been saying that for a few weeks now, haven't I? I know he was back briefly with us last week, but uh, hopefully he'll be back again next week. I want to thank you all for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all again next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.